This is the Same Jesus Podcast, a conversation between a pastor, a theologian, and their guests excavating what it means to follow Jesus in the context of a movement known as the Foursquare Church. In this first season, A.J. Swoboda, Russell Joyce, and all their guests will discuss the identity and values that have been the ethos of Foursquare for the past 100 years. You're listening to Episode 5, Doctrine. In our episode today, we are going to talk about, well, it is a word that not many people like, or at least <laughs> I should say it's a word that seems to be dry, dusty, unimportant for a lot of people. Yeah. We're going to talk about doctrine. Yep. Doctrine. Do, first of all, does theology matter? Now, I'm, I'm, I'm a, this is my trade. This is my world, my background. I as, love it when you ask questions and then answer them. I'm, I, I'm good at it. I absolutely love most, that. That's most of my is job. The, it literally is most of my job. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You should see me in the classroom more often than not. And this is absolutely true. Actually, it goes to pedagogy, like study of theology. I think the best teachers are not the ones that give you the best answers. Yep. No, They're completely the ones that agree. introduce you to the right questions. Yeah, absolutely. So, yes, I'm going to answer my own question. Great. You, you snarky <laughs> stinker. I'm going to answer my own question. And what was my question? Does theology matter? <laughs> Sorry, it doesn't okay. matter. So, and it does. When you, you know, as, as a, as a the, not only as a theologian, but, but as a, as a pastor, as anybody who lives uh, in relationship with real human beings, we all build our life on ideas. I mean, mm-hmm. our, our life becomes an expression of the way that we think. The way that I like to describe this is it, when I'm in the classroom, I'll say something like this. If you think that ideas don't matter, then you haven't paid attention, for example, to World War II. 20 million right. people died. Because of some ideas written by a madman in prison right. in a book called Mein Kampf. Ideas matter. They yep. affect things. Yep. They affect life. We are all, as I, as I love quoting uh, Dallas Willard, a hero of mine, we are all at the mercy of our ideas. Yeah. Theology matters. Foursquare is a movement that has some theology. Now, you know, if you were to look at a, an independent church and look at their website and kind of look at the things that they believe, more often than not, what that reflects is probably some pastor who wrote what they believe to be the most important doctrinal perspectives of that local church. So it's one thing for an individual church to decide something, but we as a movement have a communal set of doctrines, yeah. Yeah. which which I got to say, I really like. You were on the doctrine committee. I was for a short but important period of time. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I was the head of the doctrine committee for a very short period of time. But doctrine, communal doctrine is, is powerful because it speaks to what we are calling the entire community to. Right. I like to illustrate it with the, the communal belief system. When you look at the creeds, the Nicene Creed, we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. It's the we believe part right. that's really important. Right. So is, in, isn't that Irenaeus's rule of faith too? Isn't that the idea of like mm-hmm. sort of the fence where we can play yes. and then the outside of that is the, beyond what we The believe. concept of orthodoxy yeah, is exactly. basically the idea of what is in the boundaries of right doctrine? Now, by the way, when you're when you're a Pentecost, when you when you're one of these kind of weird, you know, charismatic folk that really love the Holy Spirit, yeah. right, really into the Holy Spirit, yeah. it is easy, and I've seen this time and again. It is easy to replace good doctrine with experience, and I, and I see this in such a, an easy jump. It's such an easy jump, but because we have such a high view of experience, right? But but Foursquare in in our movement, we have not only a high view of experience, we also have a really high view of doctrine. Yeah. Like theology matters. Right. Um, we have compiled by our founder, Amy Semple McPherson, what is called the Declaration of Faith, which is a 
compendum of essentially 22 core articles mm. of what uh, the Foursquare Church believes. And I think if most people, we'll put it in the show notes, okay. but if most people were to read this, they would be shocked to say like, oh my gosh, this is both really simple and simultaneously reflects what most Christians everywhere largely yeah. Yeah. believe. Yeah. Things like a, a high view of scripture, uh, things like the Trinity, uh, things like the fall of humanity, uh, things like the plan of redemption, salvation through grace, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, repentance and acceptance, new birth, these sorts of things. So all of these 22 articles fit within the boundaries of historic Christian orthodoxy, but they're also uniquely us. Hmm. They're, they're, they're uniquely us. How so? Well, first of all, just the, the simple fact that they are highly, in, in my view, and because I've read a, a bunch of doctrinal statements, they're number one, they're really basic. Yeah. So it doesn't get into, I like to put it this way, it doesn't get into the footnotes. Yeah. It, it allows the, the basic of the text to remain. Which but allows us to develop room. kingdom partnerships. Exactly. And yeah. There's yeah. room for us in, a, in this generous sort of broad yep. picture yep. Of, of, of theology to create dimension of relationship with people that are maybe in other traditions that yep. love Jesus as well. So I would just say that it's broad in general, but it's also generative. It creates space for relationship. So theology matters. Yeah. Theology matters. I want to draw our attention today to one of these points, because hmm. this is, if you take all of these, these, these points, this one is unquestionably the most unique foursquare. Hmm. I don't know any other denomination that has <laughs> this doctrinal dynamic. And it is, it's my favorite. It's number 13. Moderation. Oh, yes. Oh, man. <laughs> no other movement has this. You would never look at, I'm not going to name another, but there are a lot that you sure. go, they are not moderate. Right, okay. right. Let me read it to you. We are moderate. We are moderate. <laughs> you, be moderate <laughs> out there. Moderate. <laughs> this is what it says. And again, this, this goes back to our founding. It's, it's drawn together by, by Amy. We believe that the moderation of the believer should be known of all people and I'm making it gender inclusive, it does say all men in the text, that his experience and daily walk should never lead him into extremes, fanaticism, unseemly manifestations. Isn't that a great unseemly. word? Backbiting, murmurings, but that, the, but that his sober, thoughtful, balanced, mellow, forgiving, and zealous Christian experience should be one of steadfast uprightness, equilibrium, humility, self-sacrifice, and Christ-likeness. Tell me one other doctrinal that statement of any other movement that has the word mellow involved. <laughs> Unseemly manifestations. Right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. When you think of moderation, yeah. what's your gut level response to that? What does that mean? What does it mean to be moderate? Totally. Well, I mean, I would say, it, even in what she said, it's not to be drawn into fanaticism mm. in its various forms. Mm. I think there, and we've been saying this across the episodes, there are various ideological positions that become so important to people that, uh, for example, and I mean, who knows, we might cut this out. We're church planters. We were renting buildings. I can't tell you how many times in Brooklyn, we went to two or three different churches to see, could we partner together? Those churches were affirming in nature in terms so in of the sexuality. sexuality yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And that was extremely important that we shared that view if they were going to rent it to us. What do you do if you don't? Exactly. So yeah. we weren't allowed to rent, yes. you know? But like when, when I think about that, there are certain ideological positions 
that are extremely important to people. Mm -hmm. When I hear moderation, I think, because the language you just used, that was used there, has to do with how we approach relationship Mm -hmm. with people. Mm -hmm. That really, we try to reduce things down to the most uncomplicated, lowest common denominator of relationship, and then walk that path forward from there. Yeah, yeah. Amy's way of saying it was she she talked about the middle of the road. This was kind of her language of, having a value for the middle of the road. Now I'm immediately feeling like there's probably somebody listening to this who thinks like, okay, that just basically means moderation just means you never take a stand. You have no position. Yeah. You are just sort of like this blah in the middle. Right. That never. Right. And the reality is when you look at Amy's positions, she took some radical positions on things. To, to, to say yes to the KKK inviting her to come preach. That is a position right there. Yeah. That is a position. Or or things like this. I mean, she preached radically the exclusivity of Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. There is no other way to heaven other than Jesus. She had some positions that were, that were radical in the positive sense. I'm not saying that in, in, in a judgmental way. She had a, a sense of radical commitment to things. But what, what she's talking about and, and moderation, I had a great conversation with Pastor Steve Overman. A, 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 both of us love Steve. We've known him for years. Mm-hmm. And Steve is, I think, in Foursquare, one of our brightest minds. And he's you know, deeply thoughtful. I had a great conversation with Steve about the doctrine of moderation. And he, he was kind of expressing to me that the moderation doesn't necessarily mean the absence of radical positions. Right. It can it, it can take ra- in our world today to say Jesus is the only way to God is a radical it's a position. Radical position. Yeah. But Steve was saying it has it also has to do this idea of moderation with your affect. Yeah. And by affect we mean like your personality. Which um, honestly, that's what I hear in in the in Amy's language. Yes. It's describing the personality, the way we approach relationship. Exactly. You're not given over to constantly buying into the hottest, fattest, right. fat, fad, F-A-D-D. Right. Fat, you're not buying into the hottest thing at the moment. You're not fanatically driven by, goodness, how important for this moment in history is this doctrine that we are not ideologically hoodwinked right. into what Paul calls hollow philosophies. Right. That that are largely just idols. By the way, ideology and idol have the same Latin phrase word, and and the the idea of an ideology is the isolation of an idea over and against something else. An idol is buying into an attribute over and against God. And at our moment in history, the idea of moderation couldn't be more important. That we are maybe put it this way. I love that word mellow. That we're we're slow, a non anxious presence. Yes. Yeah. We don't make immediate fast theological decisions because Twitter makes us feel like we have to respond immediately. Yeah, totally. I mean, if COVID, pastoring during COVID, yes. that was exhausting oh my gosh. to feel like we always had to make a, a statement. We always had to have a position on everything. where it felt like we were drawn into the ideological arguments yeah. of culture instead of allowing the spirit to guide us yes. into what we say and how we live. We have positions. We do. We have positions. But those positions must be birthed out of meditative presence before God, right. not out of a drive for an endorphin hit because you're right. getting a bunch of retweets. Right. Not to suggest that people that take positions on social media are always doing that. Of course. But the, moder- the moderation approach is less about moderate theology as much as it is a gentle, slow, slow. That, meditative yes. presence yes. in how we do theology. That's the word that comes to mind. It's playing the long game. 
Yeah. It's playing the long game with yeah. people's souls. It's yeah. playing the long game with societal change. It's not saying that we're okay where we are. It's not accepting status quo. It's actually taking, it's speaking truthfully where there are, where there's systemic sin. It's speaking yeah. truthfully where there's generational sin. Yes. Like it's speaking truthfully of where the shalom of yes. God is not present yet. But it is saying it's not going to be changed overnight. Yes. It's going to take time and we're going to meet you where you are on both sides of the aisle. I love how Tammy said a couple episodes ago, we can grab hands because mm-hmm. we're in the middle of the road. We can grab hands with both sides and we yeah. can walk together. Yeah, yeah. That's I, moderation. I, there was this moment in 2016. I remember this Sunday like it was yesterday. It was the Sunday after uh, Donald Trump was elected president and I was tasked with the assignment of pastoring a church in Portland that was mixed between Democrats and Republicans together on that Sunday. What did you say? Um, I've blocked most of the day off, <laughs> but what I do remember is this. There was a moment at the end of the gathering. We, had, we, we, we processed together. We grieved together. There was anger in the room. There were feelings. There were emotions. But I remember at the end of the service, a guy who was a part of the church who worked for a Democratic senator in Salem. He was a, a lobbyist. And one of our hyper, hyper, like conservative guys, they, at the end of the surface, service, saw each other and went to each other and served each other communion. Hmm. And I, I had this, mo- this epiphany. If you create a movement based on an ideology, that can never happen. Amy, Amy's approach, that is, it's the gift to us. It's, yeah. a, it's a generational gift to us that must be guarded. Right. Because if we, if, we, if we are hoodwinked into ideology now, our kids are going to pay the price for that for a long right. time. Right. We have to guard. Right. We have to guard. Jesus at the center. Right. What's, I think I've heard you're a brilliant preacher. You're one of my favorite preachers, Russell. And you've used this image a bunch of times. It's the image Tertullian uses yeah. of Jesus being on the cross and he's beside two thieves. Yep. And that is constantly the gospel yep. is that the gospel is always, a t- there are always forces yep. trying to rob the yep. cross of Jesus. Totally. And Jesus must remain in the center. Totally. Yeah. yeah. I think we're going to continue this conversation with Dr. David Moore. Yes. Someone, a theologian in our movement who we respect tremendously. And he's going to help us think through why theology matters and and also why moderation as a position, as an affect of our movement is so important that we put it in our articles. Absolutely. Let's, Let's listen to David. All right, we are joined by Dr. David Moore, the M.G. Robertson Professor yes. of Pneumatology at the King's University in California. And we're going to get into the conversation about doctrine, but we were just, the three of us were talking before we started recording. And uh, Dr. Moore just dropped a bombshell on us. Yeah, because big we, deal. It's a big deal. We, we titled this podcast, The Same Jesus, yep. off of Hebrews 13, 8, yep. as we talked about in episode yep. one. But apparently, Amy had a sermon titled The Same Jesus. That, that's what you told us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's and I'll 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 try to get the date or the info on it to you. But uh, there's a message that she did a sermon, the same Jesus. Fascinating. There's something no doubt. In that. Hebrews uh, thirteen yeah. yes. uh, is probably behind that. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you for taking some time to be with us. I think where I'd love to start uh, recently and. and Recently, we did, you and I and, and Jennifer Thigpen, we did a presentation for the cabinet mm-hmm. about Foursquare's unique Pentecostal ethos. And you drew a distinction right. that I think was incredibly helpful between classical Pentecostalism and maybe Foursquare's Pentecostal ethos. Would you take 
an entire semester's worth of material and condense it in three minutes for mm-hmm. our audience That's right now. Question. How would you draw that? Oh distinction? my gosh! <laughs> well, yeah, okay, but let me let me say it this way, uh, and then we can draw it back to Foursquare. What I did was take the global Pentecostal charismatic renewals, you know, often referred to as charismatic Christianity, renewal Christianity, Jamie Smith's small p Pentecostalism, this diverse global movement. I tried to articulate what I would call nine commonalities that unites Pentecostals despite all their differences, whether they're part of the classical Pentecostal renewal that uh, begins really out of Topeka and Azusa Street or charismatic renewal, independent charismatics later. The point was, what is it that unites them? And I listed, as you recall, nine uh, characteristics of that ethos of the global renewal. Yeah. And But what happened, I think, as I did that, is there was a real yes in the room that that's who we are yeah. uh, as uh, a movement. And, and the point was, is that there isn't a particular doctrinal formula that defines Pentecostals. It's more a spirituality, as widely acknowledged many scholars on, on renewal. And then what I tried to do is say, okay, Jamie Smith did it with philosophy in his book, Thinking in Tongues. I, I would try to take and say, what are those characteristics theologically? In other words, what could we say were common? It emerges out of Pentecostal practice and lived spirituality. And it was just interesting to see the resonance that we have yeah. as a movement mm-hmm. that is picked up in those. And it's, you know, it was, to me, it was really wonderful to see the, again, kind of a collective, yes, young yeah. or old. Yeah. Well, can you give us, I mean, just by, by way of somebody that's listening in, what maybe give us one or two of those distinctives about Foursquare Doctrine in particular that's unique? What sets yeah. Foursquare Doctrine aside? Well, I mean, I, the very first point is that global Pentecostalism, and I think Foursquare certainly, is radically Christocentric, radically, yes. radically Christ-centered. And our affirmation of Jesus as Savior, Healer, Baptizer, and Spirit coming King expresses that. Yeah. I talk about a, an embodied uh, holistic soteriology that is affirming embodiment as fundamental to salvation. We are, our sins are forgiven, but God cares about our whole life, our yeah. bodies. And, yeah. and our focus, you know, the, I think when uh, Sam Rockwell did his study on kind of our identity markers, I think among our clergy and our ministerial group, healing was second in terms of identity markers yeah. for us. And I think, you know, that so we could go down the line, you know, this uh, an expansive experiential pneumatology for, for a, I think, as a movement, it's not so much an exact formulation of spirit baptism, but it's the experience yeah, of the yeah, spirit yeah. that's front and center, and so on. Yeah. yeah. All right. AJ and I, we had this conversation in our episode about the importance of the word moderation oh, when it comes yeah. to our doctrine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How would you, yeah. in your own words and from your experience as a pastor and a professor, articulate Foursquare's position on moderation for our doctrine? Mm. Well, 
it's one of the things, Russ, that att- attracted me to Foursquare. I was a part of a, the charismatic renewal and had been a part of it, a movement that had its extremes, the shepherding movement. And as I left that movement, I was looking around for a place because I do believe that we need to be a part of a family. We need yeah. to be accountable. And I connected with Jack Hayford and the mm-hmm. church on the way and then uh, joined Foursquare. But the thing that I liked about Foursquare is it it seemed to have a broader openness to, I think, theological expression. And I don't mean in any, any way sloppy necessarily. Right, right. But in other words, it was a bigger tent. Yeah. And it expressed itself that it seemed to allow for more diversity, even in how we operate our churches, new church. I mean, our church, I pastored 45 years and 25 at a church I planted here in Manteca, where I still live. And we looked more vineyardy than we did Foursquare, but we were Foursquare. Yeah. And, and you know, and, and so it's, it was in practice and in theology, we seem to be willing to avoid a lot of the extremes. And that's kind of at the heart of what Amy, I think, was hoping by this notion she used to say about walking the middle road. Right. We want to affirm and the, the essentials, of course, of Christian faith and, and minimize our differences wherever possible. And uh, I found that to be very attractive as I came into Foursquare in the, in the 1980s. So, I mean, I think even in the way we've looked at things like tongues and initial evidence, those things, which can be very strident for some Pentecostal denominations, we've been able to, I think, try to do our best to not make those issues that become a shibboleth, mm-hmm. uh, at the same time affirming the experience. So, now I'm speaking, you know, as I'm not representing Foursquare necessarily. And well, I guess I want to be careful because I know we've had some recent retrenchment around the importance of tongues and especially for senior pastors. And I celebrate tongues. I mean, I speak in tongues. I like to say with Paul more than all of you, but uh, (laughs) But the point is we've been able, we've been able to, I think, avoid some of the skirmishes theologically. And that was at the heart of Amy's desire. Right really in her later crusades and the early years at the Angelus Temple, she very intentionally avoided a lot of, uh, again, controversial stances, whether it was apostasy, whether it was, again, initial evidence, speaking in tongues. So I'm not sure I'm really getting to the heart of your question or not, but I felt like we've been willing and been a bit more open than some Pentecostal movements have been to to some diversity theologically. Yeah. Dave, David, I think you're entirely answering what, what he yeah. was getting at. And in fact, this is one of the things I was eager to ask you about as it relates to the way in which we do theology in, in an increasingly polarized world. You know, Foursquare, as we all are, are attempting to do the work of thinking about God in a world where, you know, if I disagree with somebody, I cancel them and I move on. Or if somebody has mm-hmm. one wrong footnote, they're, they're clearly heretics or something like that. And, yeah. and I just wonder what yeah. you what you would say to the Foursquare Church right now about how to model the actual process of how to do theology generously and kindly and with with love and mercy. Can you just talk about the affect of good theology and good doctrine? Well, I you've just I think 
articulated a lot of it just in your your question itself, AJ. I think that there there is there needs to be this generosity, this openness to grow, to learn. You know, when I teach theology, one of the things I, I do is I emphasize actually Jesus' own call at the end of Matthew's Matthew chapter eleven when he he talks about an openness, you know, take my yoke upon you. But one of the key parts of that, he, he says, learn of me, for I am meek, uh, you know, I am teachable, I am humble. And I think one of the ways we grow theologically is to mm. come with a fundamental humility yeah. toward yeah. the things of God, that yeah. we realize that we want to explain what we can explain, but a recognition you know, I, I love the Eastern tradition and its willingness to kind of let worship and prayer be at the heart of the theological task. Right. And if we're going to do that, what's that require? It requires a, a bowed heart, a humble heart, yeah. a worshipful attitude toward the Lord and toward one another as we grow and, and become, I think, more aware of both what we can articulate and explain, but remembering always that God will exceed that. And if we put that kind of in the forefront, then I think we're willing to, I think, to grow in a way and allow others to help us grow in a way to draw from one another rather than to attack one another because of our differences. I I mean, just my, the very point of Eastern theology, I, I, I've grown enormously from the Eastern tradition. I participate and represent Foursquare in the International Catholic Pentecostal Dialogue. Yeah. The kinship I have found with my Catholic brothers and sisters and the depth of their spirituality yeah. has been very uh, humbling to me in my own yeah. walk with yeah. the Lord. I don't know I don't know any 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 other way to say this other than I have been blown away at how often I will read Pentec- uh, Foursquare pastors who are reading Catholics. Huh. Or are reading, uh, yeah, I reading love G.K. Chesterton. Or are reading like, like there's just seems to be a kind of yes, we're committed to our core issues. You know, we are committed to our core doctrine, but we can read broadly. Right, man, right. we know yeah. how to engage in a broader, a broader set of. And that was Amy's thing. I mean, didn't weren't we a part of like the National Evangelicals Association? We're a part of the Pentecostal Catholic mm-hmm. Dialogue. Yeah, like we yeah. we joined yeah. so many different associations to be in the room to have the conversation. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, here's a question. Yeah, I, and, oh, and yeah. that. Go ahead, go ahead. No, Russ, I'm just saying though that that oh, some Pentecostal denominations will not formally send a representative right, to that right. dialogue. Yeah, and uh, we're one of a few Pentecostal denominations that I formally represent us there. Yeah, wow. Here, here's a question uh, I, just, I have. I, it's, yeah, because I think even in our conversation, we've been assuming something that I want to address. The three of us, we are Pentecostal pastors who went to seminary, hmm. who went to higher Bible education, theological education. Yeah. I remember when I told right. some of the people in my church that I was going to go to Duke Divinity School to seminary, a classic line I got, you guys probably heard cemetery. it. Yep. Seminaries are cemeteries. And now having gone yeah. through it, I understand <laughs> the sentiment. But mm-hmm. to, to certain, there may be some listeners who have a distrust of theological education mm-hmm. or or a distrust of doctrine, of yeah. really thinking about theology, thinking about God. How yeah. would you answer that? Why, why would we say it's important that we do the hard work of doctrine, mm. that we do the hard work of mm. thinking about God? Well, 
I think first, my first reaction would be to remind people that every one of us has a theology. Right. We have things, whether we want to call it formal theology or not, we have things we believe about God, the world, and that is either biblically faithful or it's not biblically faithful. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we have a responsibility is to transmit sound theology to the generations and to those that are coming after us. I'm a baby boomer. You, you both are much younger than I am. And, but I want us to have sound doctrine. So in order to do that, it's important to give ourselves to look over the Christian centuries, look at what Christians have believed over the Christian centuries, to work through those those challenges that sometimes come from the study. I mean, it is true yeah. that some people go to seminary and lose their faith. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. But that does not have to be the case. No. Yeah. In fact, I think we can be inspired and grow in ways that allow us to have a language, an ability to communicate more effectively what Christians have believed across the centuries. Yeah. We stand on their shoulders. Yeah. Yeah. We stand on those. And I'm talking about pastors. Yeah. We forget yeah. that some of the greatest Christian theologians have been pastors. Yeah. Yeah. Augustine was a pastor. Luther was a pastor. Yeah. And they were communicating theology that was biblically based, but historically tested. And, and Christians had worked through issues. I mean, when I learned about Chalcedon, and the Chalcedonian formula of Christology, I was on my knees mm-hmm. trying to, to, to just appreciate how language had been able to tap into, not exhaust the mystery, but at least give us a glimpse of the mystery yeah. of God entering our world yep. and being fully human and fully divine in a way that's profound and beyond understanding. But I got enough understanding to, I think, communicate effectively to people the importance of a doctrine like incarnation. We've so reached, but we need need our congregation to understand this deep, deep mystery that God visited us. I'm getting excited. Yeah, (laughs) I love it. My my grandpa, God bless his heart, he told me when I went to seminary, he said he did the cemetery line. And I want to say like, okay, seminary can be a cemetery, but when the resurrection of the dead happens, it's going to be a fun place to be. You know what I'm talking about? Because everybody's everybody's going to be a lot of dead people walking around and they're going to be really fun to talk to. So at the end of the day, David, I hear you saying theology matters and that actually being Pentecostal that has a high view of experience doesn't mean we have to have a low view of good thoughts about God Mm -hmm. and that we should have both a high view of experience and a commitment to really good theology. Yeah. Well, good theology will lead us to worship. You know, I think it was Evagrius, the monk who said, if if you are a theologian, you will truly pray. Mm -hmm. Or is it you, if you are truly a theologian, you will truly pray. pray, And if you truly pray, you will be a theologian. Wow. In other words, theology should lead us to worship yeah. God, and good so theology good. does that. That's so yeah. good. So good. I think that's the that's the closing word, right? Yeah. There. I don't know what else. The the yeah. mic has been dropped. Yeah. Thank you, David, so much David, for taking time to so, be with so us. Much. Hey, it's a delight to talk to you. Let's guys. all raise a glass for good theology. Okay, <laughs> here we go. Good prayers. Yeah. Hey. Amen. Hey. Hey. Awesome. 
one of my favorite, that was just such a great conversation. David, by the way, to go for hours. Um, uh, wrote the biography on Pastor Jack. Uh, mm-hmm. So talk about somebody who, I mean, he knows what he's talking about. This yeah. is this yeah. is somebody who uh, is a gift and we'd recommend reading that, reading that book. There's a, a theologian named Terry Cross. Uh, he's a Pentecostal theologian and he has this beautiful image that he uses about the church. He talks about the church as, as a potluck. Hmm. You think about a potluck, a potluck. I love potlucks. I, I, guys, who doesn't? Who doesn't love a good potluck? What is the worst potluck? The worst potluck is when everybody brings the same thing. All bags of chips. All bags of yep. chips. When you're with college students, like you're, that's okay, all you're getting. Clearly, Costco Doritos cookies. In the room. Yeah, yep. Costco cookies. The best potlucks are the ones in which everybody brings their best stuff. And, you know, when you think about theology, Foursquare doesn't have it all nailed down. No. Uh, we, we are a movement that has, I love our theology. Are there parts of it that I wish could be updated and, and sort of clarified? Sure, I do. Yeah. Our gift, what, the, what is the gift that we bring to the table, to the, to the potluck of the church? And there are some unique distinctives that we bring that I don't see a lot of other people some, bring. Some radical positions yeah, that we take. Yeah, yes. for example, um, we are a movement that simultaneously holds a historic Orthodox perspective on sexuality mm-hmm. and simultaneously believes wholeheartedly in not only women in leadership, but that women can, should, and and are empowered at every level of leadership yeah, in the church. Absolutely. And that's a rare movement, yeah. is, is an egalitarian movement yeah. that is simultaneously conser- conservative is the wrong word, but orthodox yeah. on the topic of sexuality. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a middle of the road position. Yes. yes. But yeah. that is a gift that we bear. Yeah. Absolutely. And we need to guard those distinctives mm-hmm. because, you know, we do live sort of in a moment where it's assumed that if you're, you know, you're pro women in ministry, it assumes a whole lot of other things. Right. And I want to say, no. Right. Like we, we get to bear the gift in the church, the dish, the dish of a church that simultaneously says God has very clear boundaries around sexuality and women are awesome. Well, it's all should lead in every dimension in the life of the church. Well, I was going to say, we're not egalitarian because we were started by a woman. No, we're an egalitarian movement because we believe the scriptural narrative. Yes. Bears that out. I think if your argument is we're pro women in ministry because Amy was, that's a dangerous trajectory. For sure. That's like saying, well, we should do something because our senior pastor does something. Absolutely. No, we're committed to scripture. Yeah. And scripture makes a compelling case yeah. that, thank God, Amy lived into. And I think we have some uh, books that we can put in the show notes yes. too that have really yes. formed our theology and, and why we believe in egalitarianism. Yep. Yeah. We began by saying theology matters. Yeah. And uh, Russell, as we lead into the 21st century, may we be a movement that does theology passionately but also kindly hmm. and that mellowly that we would be <laughs> without <laughs> unseemly manifestations yes, that we would passionately believe yeah. in theology, yeah. but do it with the Amen. most gracious spirit. Amen. Yeah. Amen. So what are we talking about next? What's we are next? talking about the Holy spirit. No way. You know, the one who allows us from to do such theology to the spirit. Yeah. And don't, 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 don't at us for doing doctrine before the spirit. We, we had to order this stuff uh, in some way, shape or form, but we, we're going to get in the spirit. We're going to talk about the Holy way. Spirit. It's going to be great. It. Let's do it. Thank you for listening to the Same Jesus Podcast. On our next episode, Russell and AJ will dive into the topic of spirit. Join the conversation and follow along on YouTube, Apple Podcast, or Spotify today. Make sure to subscribe to our channels to stay up to date on new episode releases and resources. And we'd love for you to share this conversation with all your friends and family. Thanks. 
Until next time, we will continue to rest in the fact that Jesus really is the same yesterday, today, and forever.